You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Our guest today probably broke her financial planner's advice. I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Right at retirement age, Irene took her money out of the market and invested it in cash-flowing real estate out of state. Some would call this extremely risky, while real estate investors might say it's the way to secure one's wealth to hard assets during the golden years. Let's see what Irene says. Welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your real estate investing experience. Well, primarily my investing has been with my own personal residences that it's taken years, but it's fulfilled some needs and some holes in the uh, need for cash flow. And I always was somewhat interested in having real estate. And I, it was in the late 80s, I think, that I did purchase a very inexpensive small home out in the San Joaquin Valley. I was living in the Bay Area at the time. And I managed to keep that for quite a few years. And then I did retire. And the cash flow, even after all those years, was not that great on the return, you know, for that rental. Mm -hmm. And then through some uh, mutual friends, we crafted this idea up of me selling the old time rental piece of property and 1031ing that into several homes back in Ohio. And that basically has doubled my income. Wow, that's amazing. It is amazing. And she was nothing short of a joy to work with. I'm sure you hear this from lots of people. Her willingness to work with you, her thoughtfulness, her integrity, her follow through. I have nothing but accolades for that woman. Oh, that's just wonderful. Uh, what did it take for you to make such a big change? I mean, to have owned a property since the 80s and then up and sell and buy in Ohio. Cash flow, cash flow. When you're retired, you're retired. You know, the income is not there. Social Security um, takes care of a few basic needs, but not much. Right, right. Was there a difference in repairs and, you know, the ongoing expenses that you have? Did you did you notice any difference between the California property and the Ohio ones? Not really. Um, I self-managed the one in California for several years, and then I finally got tired of commuting over to, to maintain certain issues and did hire a property management company. So, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who says, oh, no, you need to have your property within a 30 to 60 minute drive from your home? What would I say? Yeah. If you have a good, reputable property management company, the lack of stress is you can't put a price tag on that when you've got professionals taking care of things. And so I don't do anything. <laughs> I mean, I did have to take out mortgages. Okay. Mm hmm. So I do auto pay every month for those mortgages and something set up. I'm not sure I even understand all of this with the local county back there that they actually pay from my rental proceeds, my real estate taxes, my insurance, everything. All I do is make the mortgage payment and log in the receipts that I get advised of and gets put into my bank automatically, ACH'd every month on the 15th. So how much easier can that be? Right. <laughs> That's pretty great. 
See the when problem? you go through vacancies or and need to repair, yeah, you do take a hit, okay? Mm-hmm. Sure. But it hasn't been excessive. You know, it's not like every year they're turning over or, you know, I mean, I've had two and three year renters. And so that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's often what I say to people is if you trade one property for two or three in a different higher cash flow area, the chances of you going 100% vacant are a lot less. Because if you're if you have one vacancy or eviction in California, you're 100%, you just have one property, you're 100% vacant. But if you have that problem when you've bought two or three elsewhere, you're just not going to feel it as much. I agree. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like dollar cost averaging in the um, stock market. Mm-hmm. And how was the 1031 process and meeting those deadlines when uh, the property was out of state? Well, the company I worked with seemed to do a pretty good job. I remained slightly confused in certain areas because I'm not legally educated, but it worked out okay. And uh, we did have an issue where one of the properties that I bought was a brand new property and the winter interfered. So therefore, it was going to fall outside of the deadlines of the 1031 to close for that new property. So what I did is I just diverted all of those funds that I had for the so-called down to paying full price for one of my ones that did fall in, you know, one of the older ones, one of the resales, I guess you'd call it, not a a brand new one. But so I did have a couple of little glitches there, but it was nature that was inhibiting completion. It wasn't any person's lack of performance. So that that happened, but, you know, it still worked out fine. I, I have four properties back there and I'm happy about that. So you you traded one in California for four in Ohio? Correct. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that is uh, quite a difference. And are you saying you didn't have to finance the four properties? There was enough cash in the California one? I financed three. Oh, you did finance three. Okay. Uh, I financed and one is paid for. Oh, okay. So you're not going with the plan of using the cash flow to pay down the loans. You, you're living off the cash flow. Correct. And then the other thing, I haven't verified it with uh, too many people, but I do believe I'm correct in saying this, that in having had that piece of property here in California for so many years, at the peak before the crash, it had really appreciated considerably. And I wasn't even thinking about selling at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And then the crash came and it came down to just a bit more than what I paid for it in the 80s. Okay. Oh, wow. It was really, and I thought, oh, I guess I missed that boat, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And so then the market was recovering. And so it was going up, 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 a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time. And the tenants that I'd had there for, they'd been there, I can't remember how many years, but they'd been there a while. They were seriously interested in buying it. So that's the deal that I made there was to sell it to the current tenants. Mm-hmm. And then when checking with my CPA and having had other dealings in the past and not knowing how laws had changed, I guess you have to add on all the depreciation. When you go to sell a rental, right, which was going to completely change the so-called basis of the property. And so I was basically going to make nothing 
because I was going to be donating all the proceeds <laughs> to the government. Right. And I was <laughs> and I wasn't too excited about that. No. Not not when so, it's your retirement. Right. So therefore by doing the 1031s, all of that was deferred and having put that in a trust with my children, it's my understanding that all that deferred gets erased when the trustees, you know, when I pass. So they will not have that obligation either. Right. So that really, I thought that was a pretty good deal because I think we all feel that we donate a bit more than we would like to, to uh, keeping our country running. (laughs) Well, you know, it's an interesting point you make, too, from a different perspective, which is if you have one property and you have several children, how do they divide it, you know, when it's time for them to inherit it? Whereas if you take that property and trade it to, say, three properties and you have three children, then it might be easier. Each one gets one. Right. Yeah. Is that is that kind of what you're thinking? Well, what I'm really thinking is there's also the step up factor when Mm -hmm. someone passes. And I'm thinking they're going to have to evaluate their own personal situation if and when that happens. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would suggest that they don't sell it and that they keep it as a cash flow for their retirement. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Now, you know, whether they decide they want to sell it and, you know, move on and do other things, who knows? I'm not going to be here to to be nagging at them. So... You know, there's five of us in our family, and we often joke uh, that, boy, I wish mom and dad had just bought five houses in Menlo Park in the 70s when we were growing up because they were $70,000 at the time. They were even cheaper in Palo Alto. And my mom always wanted to. She she thought that would be a good idea, but they didn't know enough about how to manage it, so they never did it. But we, we do laugh that, wow, wouldn't that have been nice to inherit, each of us inherit a house in, in uh, Menlo Park or Palo Alto? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're doing quite fine, but that would have certainly sweetened the pot. Yeah, right. Uh, well, there might not be a real wealth network because I might have been a very happy trust fund kid. <laughs> but uh, it, is, um, it is one way to, it, it, a lot of people don't realize the incredible tax benefits of uh, inheriting a rental property because it does step up to the current market value once you inherit it and those taxes that have been deferred and deferred and deferred, just it just goes away. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I, I, I was happy to hear that. Yeah. Versus giving the property before you pass away, then they, they get to take the taxes if it's done that way. So, um, But, you know, like I told my children, you're going to have to figure out your own plan before then because I'm not going until I'm 120, maybe 30. So <laughs> they might want to have a, a different retirement plan. Yeah, you don't know, you know, and I don't do too many inquiries as to what my kids are doing with their money. I try to share what I do. So maybe they can, you know, pick up a bit of wisdom from my mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But I don't interrogate them because, you know, having daughters and husbands taking care of the finances, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to step in it, so to speak. Sure, sure. But bring them to a real wealth event. A lot lot of our members do that. Yeah, that would be good. I just, how can I word this? I've never been a big wage earner. I've always been basically surviving, you know, sometimes better than others. And I just wish that I had had some money many, many moons ago that I could have invested because I see all these wonderful syndications and things that you people are putting out there. But when I consider my age, I think I need to keep it 
a little more liquid in case the need arises. Sure. Yep. Yeah, really good point. So with that said, how did you scrape up the money to buy that first property back in the 80s? Well, that would mean that I'd have a memory, right? <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> I, I I always have been pretty good as a saver, and that property was, I think, $102,000. Which was a lot of money back then. And I just... <laughs> You're going to laugh at me because I drove out here. I took an afternoon off from work, which was hard for me to do. And I drove out here and I met up with this man that I'd never met before. He a rural real estate guy. And I had already spoke on the phone. So he showed me this property and I think it was 102 and I was able to finance it. I do remember it, it was at 8% at that point in time. I, that one sticks in my head for some reason. And I, I did have enough for the down. I don't remember how I actually got it, but I did get get it down. And it was taking way too long for him to get all the paperwork drawn up. And I looked square at him, and his name was Tim. And I said, Tim, I'm going to sign this blank contract. And I said, if you screw me, I'll find you and you'll die. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, that's pretty clear. So I take it that uh, he did a good job. He did a good job. He did. And... Um, because I just, you know, I was really up against it and I didn't have the option to be away from my job. I mean, that was that was my income. I needed it. Wow. So you just signed a blank contract. I did. <laughs> so I don't I don't recommend that, but uh, you know, it's it worked for you and that's one way of negotiating, right? Well, I just I knew I wanted it and I knew I couldn't come out again and it just it was just what I had to do, and it was kind of crazy. I thought about it many, many times after that and thought, I don't think you really should have done that, but I did it. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out for you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's great to hear. I, now, I think it's very motivating for people who feel like they have regular jobs, that can't get ahead. Uh, the gap between the, the, the haves and the have-nots appears to be growing. And to hear you say that you were a hard worker, not a high-paid worker, but you did what it took to acquire that first property over 30 years ago, and uh, look what it's done for you. It's really, would you say it's one of the main things that's helping you retire today? Having bought that first property? Yes. Well, yeah, I guess I would have to because that's, you know, it's a trickle down. It was a matter of, you know... One thing led to another to another, and yes, it's definitely contributed to my being able to retire because it would be really tough for me to make it if I didn't have that additional income. There's no two ways about it. That's the point, is that so many people want to wait to buy real estate, but you've got to buy it as soon as you can because it's really all about time, time being on your side. We know that inflation is driving prices up and will continue to do so. So the sooner you... Well, people a place to live. And I already did my little minuet with the stock market. So I, I don't really want to dance there anymore. <laughs> did you enjoy the ride down in 2008? Uh, I guess that was it. Yeah. yeah, that was it. I rode down and uh, I just, I still have a bit, but it's not, not where it's all at. You know, yeah. there's a bit there with, you know, the, the IRA funds, you know, that kind of thing. So 
but you know, I watch it and it's like, oh my God, it's such a roller coaster. And they say, you know, if you stay in it for the long haul, well, okay, how how long is the long haul? Yeah, that's the important thing is to to realize that uh, it to me it just doesn't make sense to have your entire nest egg into something so volatile that could disappear overnight. Yeah, it can, and it has. <laughs> and it has, yes. It's been a good ride, a, a good run for the past decade, but just people should be aware. At least take some of it out and uh, diversify. Yes, and uh, I will have to say overall, my biggest gains have been in real estate, not just with what I've done, you know, with the income property here, but just in my own homes, you know, maintaining homes and staying and then finally selling. Like I said, you know, I am retired and my first little house that I bought in the Bay Area, I'm not going to tell you what year because it was a long time ago. I paid $15,500 for that house. Wow. And that probably sounds incredible to people, but that was the, the cost of homes back then. Well, it wasn't, you know, it was a little blue-collar neighborhood. It wasn't, you know, the one on the top of the hill with all the, the fancy pillars, but that was what I bought. And you can look things up, you know, on the Internet now. And that house, I mean, this is a long time ago, but that house is over a million dollars now. Wow. And my question is, how can people afford that? <laughs> Good jobs at Google, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Never had that kind of job. Yeah. I, I think the problem is most people cannot afford it. And uh, that's that's the crisis that we're facing today. But again, even back then, $15,000 was a lot of money. And it took, you know, some guts to do that, just like it does today. But it, for many people, you know, you'd have to scrape up to $300,000 for a down payment to buy a house like that today. But what could you do with that two or 300000 if you bought investment property elsewhere and just rent in the expensive markets? Yeah. I mean, I own this home that I'm in now, and I prefer to own versus rent. But I've never, believe it or not, I have only rented a home for about 18 months of my entire lifetime. Wow. Amazing. So you just had a sense about real estate, it seems. Well, it just like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And that kind of goes, <laughs> that explains a lot about me. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You're independent and a little feisty. <laughs> and somewhat stubborn, you know? Yeah, and that those are all three great reasons to own your own property. Yeah, but again, if you don't want to have a million-dollar property, which you would have to have in the Bay Area now, you could just rent and uh, own property elsewhere, or maybe buy a property you think you might want to retire in someday, but just rent it out for now. Uh, but get in the game. That's the bottom line. Get in the game however you can. If you buy an investment property, say in, in Ohio, your down payment will be less than $20,000. It's a very different deal. You could, for the one down payment, the $200,000 you'd have to put down on a house in the Bay Area, you could buy several properties all cash or up to 10 properties financed. And in 15 years, you could have all those properties paid off by using the cash flow to uh, pay mm -hmm. off one house at a time. And in 15 years, now you got your million bucks. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. That's right. It seems to me that I was a little, what's the right word, tenuous about spending a whole lot of money, I guess, because of different experiences that I had and uh, a little fearful. 
I did not grow up with a so-called silver spoon in my mouth. I, I came from a farm environment. And my dad always used to say, it's not what you get, it's what you do with what you get. And I think that probably, even though I didn't think it had a profound effect on me, I think it probably did. Absolutely. Trying to identify the difference between wants and needs. And what do you mean by that? Well, wants and needs, you know, do you want something or do you need it? Mm -hmm. And trying to differentiate the two. And how do you do that? How do I do that? Yeah, how do you differentiate? I mean, sometimes you just want that new pair of shoes because they're on sale, but you don't need them. Well, I kind of live like a miser, and I have this little personal validation thing is I know what I used to earn, basically, an hourly wage, and I used to decide how many hours do I want to work for that pair of shoes. Hmm. It's like if you're an attorney and you bill out $250 an hour, okay, and you see a blouse for 90 bucks, you know, that's less than 30 minutes. It's like, hmm, okay. For me, if something was $90, I probably have to work like five hours for it. And it's like, that blouse isn't worth five hours of my time. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. So, I mean, I just have crazy ways of doing things. Well, it's obviously worked for you. Well, I do have a little financial planner that I do do some business with, and she accuses me of having my own set of bohemian math. So <laughs> I'm not sure what that means or if that's a compliment or, or not, but that's what she says I do. She says, you have bohemian math. <laughs> I said, okay, whatever works, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm not going to do. So, Love it. All right. Well, Irene, thank you so much for joining us here on The Real Well Show. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I do appreciate what you people do as well. If I were younger, I would be doing more. That's all I can say. Hmm. Well, bring your kids to our events. Let's get them started. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. I would love to receive your feedback on any topics you think we should address or things that we can improve on. You can do that by reaching out to the producer of this show, Jill, at realwealthnetwork.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye.